Thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Data Analytics and IIoT in Maintenance and Reliability. Today's webinar is presented by Mitch Cruz from Fluke Reliability. And before I introduce our speaker, I just wanna cover a few housekeeping topics. Today's webinar is being recorded, so we'll be able to share a link with you after the event is complete. And we welcome you to revisit the content and share it with your colleagues. We also invite your comments and questions. Please look for the uh, Q&A chat box on your screen. If you think of a question for the speaker at any point, just type it in there and I'll pose it to our speaker at that time or hold it for the discussion portion at the end of the event. As I mentioned, today's presenter is Mitch Cruz. Mitch Cruz is the technical marketing leader for software products at Fluke Reliability. He's worked in the software industry and manufacturing for over 35 years, spending time in various roles. Today, he focuses on software and technologies for industry 4.0 in manufacturing, maintenance, and other industries. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm gonna to hand the floor over to you to start today's presentation. Great, thanks, Eric. The topics of data analytics and IIoT or the industrial internet of things are becoming more prevalent every day, not only in maintenance and reliability, but in virtually all industries where data and analytics are at the heart of critical decision-making. Today, I wanna to discuss some of the issues that are involved with the adoption of this technology with the intent of raising awareness about the topic and hopefully leaving you with some valuable insight. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this webinar on data analytics and IIoT in the world of maintenance and reliability. As Eric mentioned, my name is Mitch Cruz, and I would like to walk you through the following topics today. First, I will give you some history and an introduction into what Industry 4.0 is. Then we will look at technology trends for predicting failures, lessons learned, implementing automation and data analytics, the role big data and analytics play keeping assets alive, what we can expect looking into the future, and finally, how to get started. Let's take a look at the progression of these historical shifts in technology. First, Industry 1.0, back in 1760 to 1840 was a transition from hand production methods to external sources of power to drive machinery, such as water and steam. Industry 2.0 in 1871 to 1914 leveraged the expansion of railroads, which greatly improved logistics and the improved communications with the wide adoption of telegraph networks. Industry 3.0 was the introduction of computers and digitization. And then Industry 4.0, or the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which includes automation and data exchange in industrial technologies and processes, including SCADA, PLC, IIoT, cloud computing, machine learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera. So Industry 4.0 is evident when you have the following. Interconnection. This is the ability of machines, devices, sensors, and people to connect and communicate with each other via networks, the internet, etc. Information transparency. This is where operators are provided with comprehensive information to make decisions. And here is where the interconnectivity allows the operators to collect immense amounts of data and information from all points in the operation. 
which then enables them to identify the key areas that can benefit from improved data gathering. Technical assistance. This is the technological capability of systems to assist humans in decision-making and problem-solving and the ability to help humans with difficult or unsafe tasks. And then decentralized decisions, the ability of the systems to make decisions on their own and to perform their tasks autonomously as possible. Industry 4.0 is realized through various technologies and mechanisms, such as IIoT, if you look at the graph on the right, you'll see a reference to the word any in all of the boxes, any device, any body, any business, any network, any place, any context. This represents true interconnectivity of devices, people, and information. Mobile devices. This is the recognition and realization of the mobile worker and the use of Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cellular to enable remote productivity, which is obviously critical to success. Location-based services, including RFID, spatial intelligence, digital twins, human-machine interface technology for operations control systems like SCADA and PLC data sources. Authentication and fraud detection to guarantee that the right people are accessing the critical data and that the data is secure and protected. Smart sensors that are attached to assets and self-aware to take, record, pre-process, and transmit data and answers. Big data analytics and advanced processes. This gives the ability to extract the valuable information and insight from the volumes of data that are being generated. Augmented reality and wearable computers, which optimizes the human interaction with the, the physical facility and processes on-demand availability of computer system resources, data storage, data processing, et cetera, data visualization and triggered live training based on context and perceived intent by the user, and 3D printing, revolutionizing the prototyping and part production process. So as you can see, there are many different ways in which for Industry 4.0 is realized in the industrial world. So let's take a moment to do a quick poll, uh, just to get a sense of where everyone is on their journey. Robin, can I hand it over to you to execute this poll? Thanks, Mitch. And uh, we'll just give everyone a minute here or so, so that they can uh, answer the questions on the screen. Mates, while the audience responds to the poll here and uh, without biasing folks too much, what would you expect to see in response? Well, it'll be interesting to see. My assumption is that most people are just getting started. Um, there's been some adoption of some of the technologies, but that um, they're still early in the journey. But I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm surprised, and I see that uh, uh, most people are heavily invested in in, in the uh, in the technology. Okay, well, I'll be interested to see as well. I think, as we saw with the other industry uh, shifts and the major technological shifts, there's always the early adopters and then the main 
grouping and then the final uh, uh, adopters of technology and each company decides where they want to fit on that curve. Okay, well the results are in here and uh, looks like we have only 3% saying not at all, but as you predicted, uh, just about 50% or so of people are saying they're just getting started on their adoption. Uh, about a third of people are using but not investing much. And then uh, roughly a fifth of people are using and investing heavily in these new technologies. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that totally makes sense. I think the majority of the people are just getting started or, or using but not investing much is the, you know, especially in this day and age with everything going on, um, it's the it's the same situation. People want to get involved, but uh, other things get in the way, and it's and it's hard to uh, to get moving with that. So that's completely expected. So I uh, that's great. Um, thank you for taking that poll, everybody. So let's take a look at some of the trends we are seeing so far with Industry 4.0. First, what needs to be understood is that using some of these technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning to help optimize maintenance, it's not a perfect science. Uh, true predictive maintenance and the accurate prediction of failures involves proper usage of tools and sensors to gather enough data and the right or most meaningful data in order to get the answers. And systems will, will eventually have the ability to learn about the environment and adapt their predictive algorithms, but users will need to build trust in them and adjust how sensitive they need to be based on their application. The system can be made to be too sensitive or not sensitive enough. The, the occurrence of false indicators has to be acknowledged and understood and, and by the market as, as these systems become more prevalent. False positives are when a problem is reported, but there actually is no problem. This could drive up costs by the system recommending unnecessary maintenance. False negatives occur when there may be a problem with the machine, but it does not get flagged by the system. This is the main scenario everyone wants to avoid. So this is why users will need to understand how to set the sensitivity thresholds and begin to build trust and, est and establish comfort level in the system over time. But the good news is that the, the lives of critical and semi-critical assets can be extended through predictive maintenance and data analytics. Data analysis will provide the insights that a machine may be headed for potential breakdown, despite not showing traditional signs such signs of trouble, such as heavy vibration or oil damage or heating up or emitting uh, an unusual odor. Um, whether an action is taken or not becomes the decision of the operator. But at a minimum, it draws attention to the situation that previously may not have been concerning and thus it gives more control. So who is leveraging this now? Although the technology is still relatively new, many companies have already begun the journey as you indicated in, in the survey. According to a McKinsey study, over 25% of companies are currently using IIoT to connect with their equipment. And the number of connected devices is actually measured in the millions. Some additional trends can be found in smart factories. 
This is a term for technologies that enable the visibility of the production and maintenance environment where the physical facilities and logistics systems are organized and controlled without the need for human physical intervention, including the use of augmented reality, digital twins, etc. Because the growth and adoption of technology and industry, the concept of smart factory is no longer a dream and is now rapidly growing in practice. Of course, some industries are better suited than, other, than others to go digital due to maybe their location, the economy, industry, advocacy, in-house expertise. But there are numerous companies out there implementing practical applications of a smart factory. The fourth industrial revolution is also evident in the use of big data analytics and enablement of predictive maintenance through the use of IoT sensors and AI software technology. Predictive maintenance can identify issues in real time, allowing operators to perform cost-effective maintenance early before the potential of failure or damage to the machines. And due to broad global connectivity, we now have better control over corporate reliability problems that may be spread across multiple sites. For example, like a company in Los Angeles could see if a piece of equipment in their Singapore facility is running at an abnormal speed or temperature. They could then look at the overall situation when deciding whether or not and when it needs to be repaired. 3D printing also adds to the digitization of factories. Some advantages of 3D printing for industry include spare parts creation to avoid long lead times or shorten prototype times for experimental repairs. But smart sensors and instrumentation drive the majority of innovation, not only for industry 4.0, but also for other smart megatrends, such as smart production, smart mobility, smart homes, smart cities, smart factories. Smart sensors generate data and provide answers and may also have self-monitoring and configuration capabilities and are used for condition monitoring of critical and semi-critical machines. With the addition of wireless communication capability, sensors reduce the need for in-person monitoring of machines and help realize the capability of creating a dense array of sensors in, for example, hard to access or hazardous locations. The importance of sensors, data analytics, and smart factory evaluation for, ind for industry 4.0 has been recognized and, and acknowledged by experts adding to the thinking that eventually all assets should have sensors on them. However, there are some trade-offs such as issues with time synchronization, data loss, dealing with large amounts of data which can tax a sensor battery life and communication bandwidth. This, on the other hand, is driving new technologies such as energy harvesting and battery-less sensors. So let's take a look at some lessons learned in the adoption of automation and data analytics. Number one, focusing on advanced troubleshooting or condition-based maintenance will help businesses increase their impact over that traditional preventive maintenance practices while laying the foundation for an analytics-driven maintenance strategy. By prioritizing one or both of these approaches, a maintenance program can start to show results at an early stage and even become self-funding for more complex models that use data from all IoT sources. Number two, combining 
domain expertise with an effective model, organizations may have this capability in-house, or they can outsource a team of data scientists and service experts to develop a true understanding of potential service interruptions and a prediction model that's effective. Data scientists may recommend a given analytics model, but only the service experts will be able to validate the recommendations and the feasibility of the potential interventions. Number three, install instilling a data-friendly mindset. Research shows that organizational mindsets are the most important factor in successful analytics-enabled transformations. Convincing the organization's leadership about the benefits and getting buy-in is essential. If there's no analytics adoption mindset or if the project leaders are unable to communicate the benefits, the organization is much more likely to, to reject the technology as a burden rather than adopt it as a source of opportunity. Number four, employ a data capture strategy. Analytics models need a lot of data and a strategy for master data management and governance will be critical for success. Stakeholders therefore need to ensure that data from all sources is being captured, whether it's through sensors or maintenance logbooks, the data just needs to be captured. Number five, applicable data. It's important to capture the right data. If it's not a rotating asset, maybe you don't need to monitor vibration. Or if there's no thermal effect, maybe you don't need to measure temperature, et cetera. Yeah, you wanna make sure that the type of data being captured and analyzed is applicable to the asset. The amount of data. In general, the more the data, the better. But there may be costs or trade-offs associated, so it's important to determine what the right amount of data is for, for your organization. Quality of data. Make sure that the data captured is quality data and is useful. For example, you don't need to take measurements from your sensors when the machine's not running. And when the machine is running, you need to take as much data as possible, etc. Number eight, history. Don't go it alone. If you don't have the infrastructure or the expertise in-house, there has been this has been a mistake of many in the past. Let the industry specialists help with the processing and interpretation of the data. Let's talk about the role big data analytics plays. Modern information and communication technologies like cyber physical systems big data analytics and cloud computing will help early detection of potential machine failures thus enabling their prevention and increased productivity quality and agility benefits that all have significant competitive value use of big data analytics enables maintenance teams to establish predictive maintenance programs to reduce downtime save on costs extend the life of equipment reduce unnecessary preventive maintenance and optimize spare part inventory Big data analytics allows you to better understand the health and performance of machines. Using sensors and data enables you to model the optimal performance of an asset. Once a model is established, operators can use real-time data to help predict when a machine might be trending toward a potential breakdown. And in conjunction with a CMMS or a computerized maintenance management system, it allows planning and tracking of maintenance activities. This saves money and time and can even help 
avoid catastrophic failures. Big data analytics consists of six C's in the integrated industry 4.0 and cyber physical systems environment. The six C's are connection, which refers to the sensors and networks, cloud, which is the computing, application, data storage, and analytics on demand, the cyber, referring to the model and the memory of the system, content, which is the meaning and the correlation of the data, community, which is the sharing and the collaboration of the data, and customization, personalization and, and value. An intelligent maintenance system is a system that utilizes data analysis and decision support tools to predict and prevent the potential failure of machines. The recent advancement in information technology, computers, and electronics have facilitated the design and implementation of such systems. Key research elements of intelligent maintenance systems consist of the transformation of data to information, to knowledge, and then synchronization of the decisions and knowledge with the remote systems. Data analysis is the process of inspecting and cleansing and transforming and modeling data with the goal of discovering useful information, informing the conclusions, and supporting the decision making. Data analysis has multiple facets and approaches encompassing diverse techniques. In today's business world, data analysis plays a role in making decisions more scientific and helping businesses operate more effectively. PM or preventative maintenance optimization. With additional information on the asset, the maintenance teams can start to optimize the preventative maintenance activities. Obviously too many PMs can overwhelm maintenance teams. Unnecessary PMs can be reduced with better real-time information. Prioritization can now be improved. By understanding asset criticality, impact potential, and likelihood and consequence of failure, teams can focus on the right activities at the right time. This also greatly impacts the area of spare parts. The cost of carrying spare parts is often just limited to the time held in inventory, but we shouldn't forget to consider other factors associated with spare parts that are informed with data analysis, such as the actual cost and average lead time to obtain the part, the criticality of the asset to the organization, and the quantified consequence of failure, et cetera. So let's do another quick poll around your current use of IAOT and data analysis. Can I hand this over to um, you, Eric, or Robin? And Mitch, the poll is actually being displayed right now. Great. Thank you. And uh, the second question we have here is, are you currently using at least some data analytics from IIoT sensors to improve overall asset reliability? And uh, the responses we have here are yes, not currently, and I'm not sure. And uh, 
Mitch, again, without biasing folks too much, based on the state of the industry, what would you kind of expect to see here? Well, I think it'll be an interesting mix. Um, you know, I think the um, it may boil down to the understanding really of what IIoT is, and I'm trying to clarify that in, in today's presentation, but I won't be surprised if some people say I'm not sure. Just because the the adoption rate and the types of um, technologies that are that are being tried out or used, it may be unclear whether that really qualifies as IIoT. Um, again, hopefully, um, most people are at least beginning that journey and uh, uh, adapting some of their um, current situation to um, uh, to utilize IoT technologies. It's everywhere. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere in the press, and um, uh, obviously, everyone is pushing it into industry. But the um, the rate at which uh, people adopt it is is unique to each organization. So um, I'm excited to see what the what the mix is. All right, and we've got our results here. Looks like uh, just over half people said yes. They are using at least some data analytics from IIoT sensors. 33% said that they are not currently using it, and 13% uh, said they're not sure. Oh, well, that's great. Okay, so a lot of people are using some, um, but um, a, a, a third are, are not using any. So that that's great. I mean, that's... Um, it's a great opportunity for people and hopefully as we learn i think we're all learning together the whole industry is learning about what the technology is and what the benefits can be to them and that um will will, will slowly increase adoption but it's great that over half are already started on that journey so that, that that's really great uh so what does the future hold what does it look like uh, going forward, well, we're going to see more sensors and analytics. Uh, as adoption grows, we will see the quantity and type of sensors grow dramatically. Uh, and as price points go lower and lower, there will be no reason not to stick a sensor on every piece of machinery. Obviously, it depends on the type of machine and the type of um, uh, data that you want to gather and whether or not there's sensors available. But over time, we're just going to see this this whole area uh, explode. Uh, the more data that is logged and processed by the AI system, the more accurate the predictions can become. So as these systems learn and um, take in more data, and and oops, excuse me, um, and there's more historic history of the data, um, uh, the systems become more efficient and they'll start taking in more of the peripheral data to help refine the logic of the system. I think we will begin to see the advent of data brokers that buy and package historical data patterns for groupings that can be used by end customers. Um, this then begs the question of um, data privacy. And of course, data privacy um, will be uh, kept at the utmost importance 
um, and I think everyone can trust that an anonymity will will always be maintained as um, as more and more data becomes used uh, for historical purposes. So you can just imagine the possibilities. I mean, it's, it's kind of endless. Um, and, and the way, one way I thought about it is in kind of a medical analogy. So if you say, you know, some people are at the risk of a heart failure when things get imbalanced due to genetics or, and or external factors such as lifestyle, diet, blood chemistry, environment, whatever. Um, currently, patients only get sensors mounted on them when they're in intensive care or hospital room. Uh, but more and more live data sensors are being made available for people to wear on a daily basis, which will allow real-time monitoring of critical parameters. We know that preventative maintenance will help. If the data could be analyzed and the entire picture painted in real time, we could possibly prevent some of these catastrophic life events. The same goes with industrial assets. These are living machines that also react to environmental conditions and inputs. There's always a reason behind an unexpected machine failure, right? But how would you possibly know that the bearing on your machine is experiencing microabrasion because the oil is losing viscosity because it tends to absorb moisture in the fall, when the shop door is open on cool mornings, when the dew point is at a certain level. Currently, we can measure things like temperature and viscosity, but it'll be with advanced analytics and machine learning that will put the entire puzzle together and tell you to either keep the shop door closed or swap out the bearing much earlier than you had expected. So when you think about it, the future is very exciting and the possibilities are endless. So it can all be overwhelming. How do you get started with all of this? Well, these are my ideas. Start small. Bite off just the right amount of adoption to meet the objectives of your company. It, it may be a trial, uh, a proof of concept, you may just pick one or two critical machines that you want to try it on and, and start there. You need to establish a long-term vision of what the ideal situation might be, thinking like five or 10 years out. Then you can map a path to, to get there based on where you currently are. You need to achieve consensus on asset crit criticality ranking. It's important to go through a structured analysis of assets using a common system that everybody agrees on. That way, then when you make decisions and you, you set priorities, everyone can refer to the same asset criticality ranking. And there should be structure around how, how you build that, and, and there's a lot of resources to help, to help you do that. Create a dedicated cross-department team. This team needs to be tasked with owning this work as a part of their job, not just added on to their existing full-time work. So this shows commitment by the company. If you can create a team that's a permanent team that is focused on, on this work, and, um, and it's actually a, a committed part of, of their yearly objectives. Partner with a vendor. 
that has experience in this area. Very few companies have the ex experience to do this in-house, um, but more and more resources are available externally to help teach and guide companies through the journey. Don't try to do it yourself. Track and measure savings for your ROI calculation. Track costs and savings meticulously so that you can prove and stand behind an ROI because you're going to need to have that ROI as, as part of the, the buy-in of the company uh, going forward. Getting management buy-in and establishing a data-friendly mindset is important. Obviously, you're going to need this initially to kick off the project and get it approved. But the project may also need to be kind of resold to management at any point during the project. It's always easy to fall back to focusing on short-term urgencies and, and uh, things that pop up. But you really need to keep your eye on the bigger picture for this type of a thing. Create a realistic expansion plan and track the program. So work at the pace that's right for your company. Again, don't try to um, adopt too quickly um, if, if your company is not ready for, for that level of uh, investment and effort. Above all, stay persistent with the end game in mind. Uh, and you really will achieve success with this, but it will take persistence, in my opinion. Um, you don't want to be that company that thought the telegraph was an unnecessary burden to the business. Um, and I know it's tough because um, there's there's competing priorities and, and people are very busy uh, with uh, doing their, their normal work. But this shift, this adoption of um, the fourth industrial revolution is something we should all be excited about. Um, and, and we should... Um, be willing to to uh, take the steps needed to to adopt this because we're all going to benefit from it and there's just tons of exciting technology out there that uh, you can adopt at your own pace that's right for you um, and you will see success from this so that's it that's my that is my pitch um, thank you all for your time today uh, we're happy to do some Q&A here or open open up some discussion. Um, I hope you found it uh, useful and informative, but um, it's a broad topic and we're happy to dive into any aspect you would like. Mitch, that was great. Thank you so much for that presentation. Uh, before we jump into a couple questions we do have, just as a reminder to everyone, today's webinar was recorded and will be posted online at excelix.com. We'll also send out a link to everyone who attended. And uh, if anyone does still have a question they have not yet submitted, please enter it in the Q&A uh, and we'll get through as many questions as time allows here. Uh, here's the first question, Mitch. Uh, you mentioned cyber physical systems as a part of big data analytics. Can you explain more about this? The cyber physical systems, yes, yes, yes. Um, this is kind of a unique term. Um, but what this means is uh, basically a cyber physical system is a mechanism that is controlled by a computer algorithm, basically. Um, if you think of like 
smart grid technology where there's an entire physical infrastructure, but there's a there's computer systems and algorithms that are controlling um, aspects of, in that case, um, the transmission and redirection of um, electricity and power. Um, autonomous automobiles are an example of a cyber physical system. Again, you've got um, computer algorithms that are monitoring data and controlling um, how the autom automobile works. Um, medical monitoring systems, um, the systems that um, have the ability to take in data from, from sensors and um, feed the algorithm and uh, have decisions made based on the, the logic of the algorithm that's built into the system. Um, so this is a big part of uh, big, data, big data analytics. As you have more and more kind of data inputs, the, the volume of data just grows exponentially. And so having that ability to analyze that data or some um, tools inside the system to help you analyze the data and really extract that important information is a key part of this, especially in maintenance and reliability, because there's all kinds of data. As I pointed out in my little shop door example, there's so many factors that can enter into the behavior of machines and going from that pre that true preventative maintenance to more of the predictive model where you're finding out information about the health of your system based on inputs from all kinds of um, sensors and tools and, and other systems such as SCADA PLC. Uh, having the ability to analyze and get that big picture of really what's going on and then the information fed back to say, you do need to change that bearing. You may have changed that bearing last month and normally you, you change them every year, but the system is now telling you to change it now because there's all these other factors that you, it's really hard to see without uh, the analytics. So that, that's how um, you know, the cyber physical system is really a big part of, of this overall uh, move to Industry 4.0. Hopefully that answered the question, whoever asked. And then uh, another one here, Mitch. Can you elaborate on the difference between ATS and CBM? Uh, yeah, sure. ATS, um, Advanced Technical Solutions um, Troubleshooting, um, is, is the concept of using um, the machine data, the data coming from the machine, as well as the data from the previous uh, failures. So as, as a machine has its life and has repair work done or has failures, that data becomes part of the, um, the history of that machine. And um, that coupled with what's going on with it currently um, um, defines really advanced troubleshooting. And it just allows you to take in a bigger picture of, the, of really what's going on with that machine historically and presently um, and those kinds of tools uh, just give you better visibility on on what needs to happen to the machine cbm or condition-based uh, maintenance is where you're taking the um, 
the condition of the machine based on sensor information and really understanding what the condition of that machine is to determine what maintenance needs to be done. So as you um, decide and you're setting your priorities and you're, you're faced with all kinds of maintenance activities, having that uh, information about the condition of the machine based on data that's coming in from um, sensors or, or tools um, allows you uh, to, to prioritize or really understand what machines uh, need to be focused on first. So there's, there's, it's kind of two um, components to uh, really that next level of understanding what the, the maintenance plan needs to be. Um, obviously, if you can do both of these things, um, that's really uh, a valuable combination. But um, some people are just are doing one or the other, which is fine. That's kind of the next step of, of really um, understanding the situation based on uh, based on the data. But but do them both if you can. Hopefully that answered. Great, like and then. From, from the broad to a bit more specific here, uh, are you aware of any IIoT sensor capabilities in journal or sleeve bearing situations? That's very specific. Um, but the answer is yes, um, because the when you think about um, a sensor, really what the sensor is measuring is um, some physical uh, uh, condition or property of a thing, whether it's a type of bearing or a, a, a type of a machine component. So the what you're measuring is the, is the modality of that. So if you say, um, I'm worried about uh, vibration, and vib vibrations, obviously, the most predominant um, modality that that's that's being focused on right now. And there's there's tons of technology around that. But if you say that's the that's what I'm worried about is the vibration of that um, sleeve bearing, then you'll find a uh, a sensor that can do that. But but as I mentioned previously, if vibration is not the problem, you're worried about friction and you've got a heat buildup problem, then maybe um, you know using a, a, a thermal IoT sensor is, is the better application. A lot of these sensors have multiple modalities combined in their temperature and vibration or, or that sort of thing. But as you get into, say, um, I want to measure, I want to can you continue to monitor the um, the oil situation? So the viscosity of the oil or any damage that's occurring to the oil as part of the lubrication of that bearing, there's going to be sensors for that. And um, uh, noise-related sensors or uh, just these other modal modalities that, um, as I mentioned, will be will be going. But there's a lot there are a lot of sensors available now a lot of iot solutions that that will address that but it's it's i don't think you're going to find a, a sleeve bearing sensor but you what you're going to find is a vibration sensor that works with a sleeve bearing or for specific application um that does exist and uh, yes hopefully um you can find information on that uh, feel free to reach out if if you need more information on that but but yes that does exist Mitch, and then uh, another specific question here. Um, 
Someone asks, I'm interested in collecting data from a CMMS and how it would play into a building total management system. What are your thoughts? Into a building total management system? Yeah. Yes. Versus into building a total management system. That's correct. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So the CMMS. So so the all of this information that's coming in, giving you the health of your system, and you you have this this great vision over the overall health and um, and uptime of your environment. You then need to execute on on that information. And so the CMMS um, allows you to do that, allows you to organize and prioritize and, and assign resources to, to make sure that you're doing the most important things at, at the right time. And so the tie-in to CMMS is the obvious uh, golden nugget, right? So the um, uh, this is a big trend in the industry, I think, um, you know, certain companies are better positioned than others, but tying in that um, that data from the um, IoT system and the analytics, and then have that feed right into a CMS to to kick off work orders that are based on that data. That's the holy grail, right? So that's um, you know we're working on that um, uh, aggressively as are other companies in the industry. But that's the key thing because it doesn't matter if you know that a machine's about to fail tomorrow if you don't have the work order cut to to do that and the you know the parts and inventory um, uh, to to go execute on that uh, on that work order and so yes that is a critical piece of this overall uh, fourth industrial revolution is tying into a um, a task based system that that actually gets the work done and again. Um, we're doing it. Um, others are doing it. Reach out if you have any questions on that. But um, uh, that's, and I really think, not being too biased here, but I, I just think having all those multiple pieces where you've got sensors and tools and um, data systems, um, analytics, CMMS, all tied together and working seamlessly is, is going to be really the most valuable solution for, for customers in the industry. Hopefully that wasn't too much of a pitch, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to stay unbiased here because, yeah, everyone's working on this stuff and it's and it's super cool. Um, but you know, if you don't have all the pieces to the overall thing, then you partner or buy or you know acquire companies. But um, um, everyone's working on it. Everyone has that same vision of of tying it all together. Great, Mitch. And then uh, someone else asked. We are experiencing more pushback on data analytics adoption from maintenance technicians rather than management staff. And the pushback is more focused on technical skill rather than cost. What would your recommendations be for technician adoption? Yes, right. And I think that's um, that's not a new concept. I, again, you know, it becomes philosophical, I think, in my opinion. Technology is moving very fast, and um, we always like to talk about the leading edge and how to adopt the leading edge and, and really push it forward and move forward. We all want to be part of this movement, but at the end of the day, companies are just trying to get their products out the door, and it's and they have to focus on what's right in front of them, and 
there there's sometimes it feels like there's a jump between what I have to do today to just get to get the job done and 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 keep things working just for today and trying to adopt this new technology that I don't even really understand what you're talking about. Uh, this, I think, is part of a company culture to agree to adopt. And again, as, as I mentioned, it has to be at the right pace. So if your organization um, has the wherewithal or the guidance or the management buy-in to create a program that, that um, does account for um and maybe the, the 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 technician crew is is not ready to take this on then put in a um an education system or a training system that um, fits your organization and bring people along i mean you, you go to the historical little stories um and the the, the um, previous um, industry shifts the notion is like, well, we don't have time to learn this telegraph thing. It's just I'm too busy trying to get, um, you know, these horseshoes out the door or whatever it was back then. Um, that's a common problem, but you eventually have to get there, right? So the, it, it boils down to the company culture, the, the management, the leadership to say, okay, listen, this is an important thing. We need to balance this with what our short-term objectives and requirements are for we're doing, but if, if it requires educating and, and giving people opportunity to, to learn at their own pace and um, adopt some system or bring in somebody to help, to help train this, do it, you know, take the bites that, that, that fit the organization. Don't bite off too much and don't force people to um, do something that they don't really have the capacity or the, the, the bandwidth to adopt quickly, then um, adapt your methodology and your 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 roadmap for adoption to your organization but i i think it's pretty common to hear that that the oh here comes another new technology everybody needs to uh learn it and adapt to it while you're still doing your day-to-day -day job which is which is more than a full day uh, it, it has to come with come from management and leadership in the company to um create a plan and a journey that makes sense to the organization. Thanks, Mitch. And then uh, I think this next one may actually be a reference to the new Fluke 3562 screening vibration sensor. But uh, somebody asked, what are IIoT sensors without power and how do they work? Very good question. So as I mentioned, they're, um, you say, oh, we need more and more sensors, put sensors on everything. Well, now you've got um, power issues, you've got battery issues, you've got to replace batteries, and this becomes um, unmanageable. And so it's a kind of a competing problem when we're trying to put sensors on everything. So this drives innovation. When you've got a need like that, you drive innovation. So um, uh, there's this concept of um, energy harvesting. So the, the ability to scale down the power requirements for monitoring something like vibration um, and use technologies that don't require a lot of power down to the point where you say hey this this giant machine is shaking and heating and doing all these things what about using that power to power the sensor it's a it's a really cool concept um, we have a sensor that that works that way our, our 3562 it's a energy harvesting sensor 
And so it takes the energy that's expelled off of the big machine through um, vibration movement and, and heat generation. It can, it can actually harvest that energy and use that to drive the sensor itself. So, and to power the, 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 the vibration sensor with the vibration components within the, the overall sensor and operate that way. I think we're going to see more and more of that as um, the technology around sensing uh, becomes more mature and lower power requirements. And obviously, we're still putting these things on huge, giant rotating machines that have lots of excess power. So um, energy harvesting, I think, will be <clears throat> a huge innovation in this in this industry because the um, you still have to connect to the sensor, right? You're either putting power to the sensor or um, wireless or wired communication to the sensor. I think as time goes on, we'll see more and more of these um, autonomous sensors that can harvest power and have um, onboard processing capability or some intelligence to um, further optimize that, that overall data generation process. Cool stuff. Thanks, Mitch. And then uh, the next question is, what's the optimum interval for sensor data collection and running the data model for predictive maintenance? Are there any standards that specify such intervals for predictive models? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So there are guidelines um, around really how much data you need, but I, I believe it, you know, it's, it's in the concept in the um it's really in the um taking into account the fact that the more data you generate you're going to be chewing up more battery so again going back to the um the power source um discussion if you said oh um power's not a problem processing is not a problem uh, uh there's no limit to that then you would obviously take more data, even if you felt like a lot of that data wasn't needed. Um, but, but we're not there. We're still in the, the situation of like, let's just take as much data as we need, uh, accounting for battery power and, and, and having to uh, replace batteries in the sensors or the ability to process the data or the ability to communicate a lot of data wirelessly. Um, so the, um, again, I think, Currently, yes, there are guidelines around how much data you need. It, it can also be a, um, a choice of, of your organization based on your, your um, agreed upon criticality and impact that this system will have on the overall company. So if you have super critical machines that have to re have the utmost um, uh, surveillance of their situation that's going to be a higher data rate i think um versus a machine that's less critical excuse me um the other concept is that um you've got kind of steady state machines are all running fine if you all of a sudden get indication that some machines are becoming troublesome or problematic or you have some other data that that indicates there may be a problem being able to adjust the data rate on those sensors um to kind of hone in and focus more on that machine at a, at a given time to make 
either make sure there's not a problem or to confirm the, the uh, assumption that there is a problem, I think will exist as well. And so being able to toggle that, that data rate um, based on the current you know, power and data processing limitations that you may have um, that exists. But obviously, um, in general, the more data you can get, the finer granularity you have in, in really understanding the situation. But there's, yeah, th there are some trade-offs. So yeah, um, talk to us. There, there, there are best practices being developed now on, on that topic. Great. And then uh, I can take the last one here. Uh, a number of people have actually asked if the slides will be available after the presentation. And uh, yes, we'll share the deck and we'll also share a recording of today's sessions with uh, everyone who attended so that you guys can watch that later and uh, share it with your colleagues if you're so inclined. And uh, with that, we'll conclude today's webinar. Thank you to everyone who joined us. And Mitch, thank you to you for sharing your insights and expertise here. It's a really interesting discussion. Um, there will be a brief survey that will pop up as you uh, leave today, six quick questions. If you'd be so kind as to take the time to respond, it does help us improve these webinars. And uh, speaking of, you can also find information about our upcoming webinars at excelix.com. You see it on the screen there, it's uh, A-C-C-E-L-I-X.com. If you have any questions or you wanna connect directly with the Fluke Reliability team, you can either reach out directly via the email address Mitch shared before, or you can reach out via LinkedIn or your preferred channel. And uh, with that, thank you for your time and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, everybody.